Hello and welcome to this emergency mini-pod of the 3-Bid League podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, joined by Matt. And we're going to just jump right in. Jay Wright has officially retired from Villanova. It is not official, but appears most likely that Fordham coach Kyle Neptune, Wright's longtime assistant, is going to take over as the Wildcats head man. Matt, what was your first reaction to this news? This was unbelievably shocking, and we've joked about doing emergency pods for years, but I think this is the first time it's actually happened, and it's warranted. Both Jay Wright retiring at the age of 60, coming off a Final Four, and then I think even more shocking is that they're poaching the Fordham coach. I never would have expected this. I do want to note, Really quick, you declined your spot on the first ever emergency pod. It was after LaSalle beat oh, Dayton yeah. to start off conference <laughs> play last season. All right. You're right. This is the second one. First one I've participated in, but you are right. Thanks for the catch. Yeah, it's it's a shocking thing until you really actually sit there and think about it. Jay Wright's 60 years old now. Um, he's not as insane as Coach K or Roy Williams. Like None of these guys, once they've reached the level that Wright or Bill Self is at, needs to keep coaching. And clearly at this point, he valued family life and relaxation over this crazy job. Either that or there's been a bunch of tampering and he's going to be the Sixers coach in three weeks. But it's really not that crazy that he left and then Kyle Neptune, who much like John Shire was at the time that Coach K announced he was leaving, was the closest thing that Wright's had to a right-hand man. He leaves for one year. He has a great year. So it's a decent, it's a decent resume for the head coach of Villanova, but something like this, you knew it was going to be somebody who – had close, close, close ties to the program. And the, is the big loser Ashley Howard here? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point when you realize that I, I think Howard and Neptune were both there when Villanova won its first championship in 2016 with Jay Wright. Neptune so, got promoted into Howard's job when he took the LaSalle job, I believe. And, and something else I was thinking about, because Kyle Neptune, although like we both liked him a lot at Fordham, he was only there for one year. And if you go back to Ashley Howard's first season at LaSalle, his first year as a head coach at any level, I mean, he also made it to the 8-9 game of the A-10 tournament. It really wasn't a com- – I mean, that year LaSalle also, they started like 0-11. They had a terrible non-con, but it, Ashley Howard and Kyle Neptune's first seasons weren't that, that different from each other except so I, Ashley I, Howard took over a program that not only had gone to a sweet 16 earlier that decade but in the I think it was five years after that stayed pretty mediocre they, they were always in the middle of the pack as opposed to just being a, a complete joke like Fordham was yeah that's true and I think what you have to wonder I have to believe that Jay Wright had some conversations with Kyle Neptune or, you know, the Villanova athletics department. I, I feel like they knew this was coming for a few years. 
and they they like Kyle Neptune a lot as a potential replacement. You got to wonder if they just encouraged him to go out and get some head coaching experience before being pushed into this head job at Villanova. Um, just It doesn't seem like this is the type of thing that would have come out of nowhere. I, I think they've had this in the works for a while. Um, real quick here, one minute ago, John Rothstein, the official Kyle Neptune hiring will be tonight. Oh, okay. So it's official. That, that... So this is this is speedy. And I'm actually going to push back here. I don't think it is. I don't think it was premeditated because if Ashley Howard was going to just walk into this job, even if they wanted him to get head coaching experience, I don't think he takes the Fordham job. That's too risky mm-hmm. because – let's say he doesn't have an amazing year and he just replicates where they were at is Villanova able to sell to their fan base. Hey, this guy, this guy was our top assistant for the last six years, but look, he just went 11 and 22. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, you if guys he just ready to go kept... to final four again. Yeah. If he, if he just kept the new Bauer train going, winning single digit games that, you're probably right. That wouldn't fly. So I, I guess it's that much more important that Neptune enjoyed that success in his first year. But yeah, I, I think if you're setting it up like that, you try to line him up to get a good lower conference job. Like you take over for someone who just got a big time job for making the NCAA tournament. And all of a sudden it's a school with lesser pedigree but if Neptune does a good job, he's, go, he's winning 25, 26 games. And they're able to sell that. I wonder, do you think Villanova is going to effectively be able to sell this now? I mean, I think in our little Atlantic 10 circles, we all think Neptune's a good coach. But when you're used to going to Final Fours like Villanova, I, I mean, from an outside perspective, looking at, a Fordham team that won 16 games, that doesn't seem that impressive on the surface. I wonder how their fan base is going to react to this. I mean, I'm sure they're all devastated that they're losing Jay Wright, but I I just wonder how they feel about the replacement. I would think it's probably enough because we knew they were promoting a guy who was close to him. There was never going to be this is never going to be an outsider, especially given that there's no other superstar in Philly. Like if it, Billy Lang's a bad example because he is actually a former Jay Wright guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess even though he's a Temple alum, I'll just say Aaron McKee. If Aaron McKee is killing it right now and has made back-to-back NCAA tournaments, that's about the only way you leave the tree. And I got the list of the J. Wright assistants who have had head coaching jobs in the last decade. Like, it's not exactly this amazing crew. Pat Chambers, Speedy Claxton might be the best beyond Neptune. Tom Pecora, I think he's at Ho- – he's done pretty good at Hofstra right now, but – Wait, is he in head coaching since he got fired from Fordham? No, 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 no. Sorry, Speedy Claxton's at Hofstra. Oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tom Pecora has been a head coach for forever. He's, I didn't think um, so. So basically, it's like 
Speedy Claxton or Neptune if you're keeping it in-house? Yeah. Like, nobody else, nobody else in this group has had a great amount of success except for two good Pat Chambers years, and he has way too much baggage to get it. So I, I think, though, like, look, people are going to make fun of Fordham for this. Like, they finally taste a little bit of victory, and they lose their head coach after one year. I'm not ready to just feel sorry for their Amelie right now, though. They, there's a, p- a couple potential good options. So I think that's where we should go next. Where do you see Fordham going to name their next head coach? And it is, it could be kind of tough. It's late in the hiring cycle, but I think looking at it, it there's a couple intriguing possibilities here. To me, the first name, well, should we just start there? Yeah, of course. We talked about it last year. And the fact that it seems like there was no Patino momentum at all means it probably won't happen this year, given that they're actually now less desperate. It would be so fun. I mean, we just got Frank Martin, Archie Miller. Fran Dunphy. Yeah, Fran Dunphy. Like, if we threw in Rick Patino into this too, it brings the coaching level to another stratosphere. They went the exact opposite last season. And I expect them to go with a young, slow builder again. The first name that came to mind for me was Jared Grasso over at Bryant, who was kind of a hot commodity last season and then actually made the NCAA tournament this year. Now, the biggest thing there before all the Rhode Island fans say, oh, well, Jared Grasso's overrated. He might be, but he was the runner-up last year. Like, he's going to get a call for this job. So that's someone that certainly could be, I just saw on Twitter, complete speculation. Everybody's all up on Kamani Young, who everyone thought was going to be the UMass coach for like three days, the top assistant over at UConn. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would just expect any young, good assistant in the Northeast to be mentioned for this. And I think they're in a place now after a good season where they actually can, they could probably shoot higher than they did last year. Well, see, that's the thing. The Fordham job, like, it's not like this one year for Kyle Neptune. It wasn't all for nothing. I do think the job looks better than it did 12 months ago, even though maybe you do lose some of that momentum. If they might make another good hire here, they're, they're still going to be moving in the right direction. I think Rick Pitino has to be the first guy you call. Even maybe he just hangs up immediately and laughs, but he is quoted uh, as saying he wants to be in the Atlantic 10. So I don't know if he was referring to Iona or something else, but that, that would be awesome to get him in the conference. I'm, I'm not quite as sold on Jared Grasso as a lot of people. I, I just feel like hasn't he gotten his big advantage at Bryant through – just recruiting and really like swing for the fences with some of these higher rated guys. I, I feel like it's easier to get away with just out talenting people in the NEC than the A-10. So I'm not, I'm not quite as sure on him, but he, he has a really interesting experimental roster coming in next year with yeah. all the high, tra- all the high up transfers. I think there's eight guys who are basically transferring down 
to Bryant. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder if Fordham got him, he, if he maybe pulls one or two of those guys with him. Uh, maybe someone yeah. like uh, the, the guy that would actually fit Fordham really well is our old friend Antoine Walker, who's going to Bryant from Rhode Island. I, I, I guess the one thing that we, we should keep in mind, Jared Grasso, the biggest game of his career so far, he went into UD Arena, played a team from the city of Dayton, and gave up 93 points to them in a loss. And it wasn't even the Flyers. So, Yeah, I'm, I, I still say this too, like when we've brought up Grasso, but I, I don't think people realize how bad the NEC is. Like, it, that's a huge jump to the 810, so we'll see. But a couple other names I wanted to throw out to you. I'm just going to go ahead and I feel like I say this anytime there's an Atlantic 10 opening, but Phil Martelli, I, I think you give him a call. I, I guess, I don't know if LaSalle went after him or not, but maybe cool. this is something he considers. I don't know. That's where if you're going to call Phil, then you definitely should just call Patino first. Oh, well, yeah. I, I don't think Phil's the first call, but I, I think he would be a good option for a couple of years. Uh, another one I thought was interesting. I remembered hearing about this last fall, but I assumed it might have fallen through once we saw him calling games on the USA Network. But Dave Paulson, if you go on the Fordham Athletics website, oh, he's still employed by the university. He, he's like a special advisor to the head coach, to the regional manager or something. I, I think that would be about the most boring hire you could make, but if they just want some continuity, maybe that's a direction they go in. You're basically hiring a guy who specializes in just having the seasons that you had last year. I mean, if you're Ford, like, though, I think you I, take that. <laughs> I, I think this is different than it was a year ago. Yeah. Like, Neptune showed up, landed two nice scores in the transfer portal, proceeded to lose one of them midseason, and then finished eighth with basically the roster that was left behind in Quisenberry. Like, it's just become really clear that Neubauer was just awful his last few years. And right now, this team, as it stands, I have them ninth. That's their with their current roster that has no viable center whatsoever. They could get back Ohams. They could go get a big guy in the portal, maybe one that has connections to whoever takes the job. Like you're actually starting at a better, you're starting at a much better place. I think right now, Fordham, if you don't go hire Patino, which they've been so bad for so long, I think you just risk it and hope that you time the transition from him to the next guy correctly before you get in trouble. If not, I just do what I did last year, what they did last year. And I'm just exclusively calling guys under the age of 50 because I'm trying to find somebody who's going to come in and at least for the next five, six years, try to make themselves into a superstar. Yeah. And and I think the other option to like, I don't know about all these hotshot assistants coming up um, that could be options, but if you do want to try to keep this roster together, which could be fairly decent if Chubo Hams comes back and Fordham also has a couple good recruits coming in 
maybe they just promote Keith Ergo, the associate head coach, who pretty soon after the news was announced, Chuba Ohams, who I, I think it's safe to say he's the leader of Fordham's team, he really pushed for Ergo to get the job. Um, and I wonder if the other players might feel the same way too. It's not like Kyle Neptune did it all himself last year. I'm sure he had a good staff around him as well. So maybe that's another option, especially since it does seem like Fordham is starting to attract some better talent than they have been the last couple of years when they had Neubauer. Yeah, they did land their first or I don't know how long the ranking systems have been this way specifically, but they landed their first four-star recruit in the history of the rivals 24 seven system coming in for this season. So yeah, hang a banner for that. It's exciting, but I, I don't know. I don't really have any other big names. I, I feel like the more I look at it, that, that almost seems like the most likely that they just promote or go from within, but it, it'll be an interesting thing to follow the next couple of weeks. De- definitely agree with you though. I, I think you try to call Patino first at this point. I do want to throw out one other potential name. Mark Schmidt. I, I saw a quick, <laughs> could be, <laughs> I, I saw a quick mention of him in passing from somebody. I think it might've been Nick Lorenzen. If it was, uh, hopefully he gets the credit. If not, uh, sorry to, because I forget who sent this tweet, but right down the road at Rutgers, they have a young guy who's been talked about as a rising star in the coaching profession and Brandon Knight, who's been there for, for about a half a decade now. He's been an assistant coach at a high level since 2008. And in terms of keeping the staff together, two of Fordham's three assistants are Ronald Ramon and Trey Woodall, guys who played at Pitt early last decade when Brandon Knight was an assistant coach there. And so if they want to keep things together, it could be Ergo. They could go tonight as well, because I feel like he'd be able to keep those guys around. They have a rapport together. Uh, Basically you're building off of the old Jamie Dixon tree, which sent Towson to the NCAA tournament this year. It's about the only guy in the Dixon tree, uh, Pat Scary, who has a head coaching job at the moment, so that could potentially be successful. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be an important time for Fordham, without a doubt. You don't want to just lose what happened this year with Neptune, and it's going to be tough for them to make two good coaching hires in a row, but I, I still think all hope is not lost. Hopefully the job looks better than it did, maybe – Maybe they get some sort of buyout from Villanova. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But I I think this past year did show the university that they can be fairly successful in basketball with the right investment and with the right coach. So hopefully that encourages them to make that right decision. But going to be an interesting story. We get another coaching change to follow the next couple weeks. Didn't know if we would get that this year. So something to extend the offseason a little bit. Yep, and I want to I wanna correct something here real quick. Last year, there were two former Jamie Dixon assistants who had head coaching jobs. Pat Scary, who took Towson to the NCAA tournament, and David Cox, 
Oh, interesting. It Pitt, I guess. Yeah, uh, very, very briefly. I believe he was only there for a year, but he did work under Jamie Dixon very early in his career. Huh. All right, that's a good one. All right, well, are you ready to move over to the other elephant in the room that we didn't really plan on doing a podcast for, but kind of took the, the A-10 by storm this week? Yeah, and I, I've had a lot of thoughts revved up on this for a few days now, but just didn't feel like we could get a whole episode out, out of it. So Yuri Collins unexpectedly leaves St. Louis all speculation says that he's going to Tennessee. It appears that he has a sizable NIL deal signed up there. Um, I expect that this will take at least a week before it becomes official because you have to at least pretend that there's no tampering here. I guess my initial, the, the initial take from everyone was basically just complaining about the NIL. This is not about the NIL. Because I think in the past, if Tennessee wanted a new point guard that bad, they'd find a way to pay him regardless. And we're just now developing to a place in the transfer portal where coaches are becoming a lot more comfortable with tampering with guys. And so I think this was naturally coming anyway. And Yuri Collins has the right to go take the most money. My one complaint that I would fire out about the system, St. Louis' season ended like five weeks ago. Like, it just should be done at this point because that's where you give coaches an opportunity to really abuse the system. If a guy leaves three days after his season's over, then there's a much higher chance that it's for genuine reasons. When you're sitting around for a month afterwards and – Tennessee is basically just free agent shopping for their next point guard. They got plenty of time to go make calls to a lot of guys who might be willing to come over there. So I think you, I think that's the loophole you got to close. Yeah, it's, it's controversial to say the least, especially since there were some pretty strong rumors that Collins would be going to Tennessee before his name was even in the transfer portal, which just happened about an hour ago at the time we're recording this. And I, I will say this, and I tweeted it out, I, I feel pretty strongly that if it wasn't really an open secret that Yuri Collins would be transferring and going to Tennessee, I mean, there were rumors if you go back on message boards and a few random Twitter accounts, people have been talking about that for a week or two. I'm sure Travis Ford and St. Louis were also aware this might be going on too. So I, I don't think it's like they were completely blindsided and they have to scramble and look for a point guard. I wouldn't be surprised if Travis Ford has been trying to recruit transfers the last couple of weeks to fill that spot. Um, just kind of the nature of the transfer portal. I, I feel like it's hard to keep that close to the vest um, internally within a team. So uh, hopefully St. Louis, I mean, I still think they can have a really good season if they, they get a good replacement for Yuri Collins. It's going to be tough to replace his exact production, but it's still going to be a really good team next year. So not the end of the world, but certainly disappointing. And I, I think one more thing we can also say too, like I, I think overall 
giving transfers immediate eligibility is a good thing, but this never would have happened if he had to sit out a year going into his senior season. So just unfortunate for St. Louis here. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I'm on record as saying these guys should absolutely be able to get a free transfer. Now, if we want to start talking about two, where now Jordan Nesbitt's just apparently going to take a step down on the ladder every year, that's a different conversation. But, and by the way, that's part of what makes this Yuri Collins thing a little bit easier of a bet on himself. He can go to Tennessee now. He clearly believes that he can continue to be a great player on a better team in a better conference. If he's wrong, he can just leave again and just go back down to another slew level school. I think if you can only transfer once, it makes it a little bit harder to take that bet. And by the way, that's, that's the other part of this NIL thing. Because if Yuri Collins deep down didn't have some sort of desire to try to play for a bigger school, I don't think the money matters that much to make him do it because he has to worry about his professional career after this. And if he has good people around him advising him, then they've warned him that if he sucks at Tennessee next year, he's going to struggle to get a professional contract. Now, if he's amazing, he might get drafted, which was never going to happen if he stayed at SLU. But if he just had another all eight, all a 10 season, he was going to waltz into a good deal with some mid-tier European league. So, yeah, it's a it's a risk reward play for him for sure. But um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, these guys with the immediate transfers with this additional flexibility, that it's easier for them to do what they feel is best for themselves, and you can't fault anybody for that at all. So, a- exciting opportunity for him to go play in the SEC, and um. I don't know. Hopefully that can be the year that they finally break through and make the Sweet 16. I'm still bitter. And I I know we don't like getting into brackets and stuff here, but I I picked Tennessee to go to the Final Four, forgetting that Rick Barnes has lost in the second round, like 22 out of 24 years or something ridiculous like that. So I want to end this with this because you actually started talking about it and I went off on my tangent, but it, it is worth covering. St. Louis going forward. Are we sure they have to get a top of the line point guard to get back to the to get to the NCAA tournament? No, because no not really. I mean, they need a I, somebody. Like, people were even saying beforehand, "Oh, even if Collins comes back, they still got to get a good, good backup to replace DeAndre Jones, who graduated." Mm-hmm. I'm sure it matters. I think if you have Perkins and especially if Jimerson's on the court at the same time, that you can kind of just cobble it together. Those are two really great slashers and pretty solid playmakers. So if that's your 15 minute a game point guard solution, I think you're fine. And that really opens up the potential options now that you can try to go get a young guy and hope that he develops enough as the season goes along. You can try to get a defensive first guy, knowing that you're going to get great offense everywhere else on the court. 
one name I tweeted about late last night, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so late Tuesday night, Jalen Llewellyn from Princeton just reopened his recruitment. He's not a traditional point guard, but he is an incredible shooter. And if you can get him in there, and now him and Perkins are basically just your co-point guards, but you just have shooters all over the place around Francis Okoro, that's a deadly offense. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't think it's like a couple years ago where St. Louis could not shoot the ball at all. They had pretty much no offensive playmakers. Now you've got um, you've got Jefferson, you've got Javante Perkins, like even guys like Terrence Hargrove and Fred Thatch, they can I feel like create for themselves and drive to the the hoop. So I, I don't think they need someone to get eight assists a game or something crazy like that. They just need someone to fill that spot on the team. And um, yeah, I mean nothing's stopping them from still being a good offensive team. It's just going to have to change the style that they've had the last couple of years where Travis Ford has put so much trust in his point guard and Yuri Collins has had the ball in his hands so much the last couple of years. So they're going to have to find a way to adapt, but it's not like they can't still have a good season. Well, and I think we got to remember too, the last year before Yuri Collins came, the last time they made the NCAA tournament in 2019, they didn't have a point guard. I, I guess Tremaine Isabel kind of was, but he played more like a shooting guard. I personally felt like Javon Bess was the closest thing they had to a point that year. And for anyone who doesn't remember, like his game was basically the same as Javante Perkins. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that year they just well, their offense sucked. That <laughs> their year, offense was, but... was awful, and I feel like they kind of just like like we're just gonna get the ball to our best player and let him work. So maybe they just yeah. do the same thing with Perkins this season. But I, I feel like Perkins is going to have a little bit more help around him than that St. Louis team, which was, yeah, truly awful <laughs> offensively. But they managed to make the win the ten tournament, so maybe it can work again. Yeah, it was streaky shooters. It was French and Goodwin back when neither of them could do anything outside the paint as freshmen. So, yeah. All right. Well. Sad to see Yuri Collins go. Unless you have anything else to say on him, I was going to give you 60 seconds to talk about Primo Spears. Good, because I was about to take 60 seconds. All right. (laughs) This one was a gut punch because I heard on good authority a few weeks ago that he was most likely staying, although it was never official. Um, Duquesne's going to stink again next year. Like, they got the centers, and Easley's probably coming back out of the draft. But Dan Brock better nail the portal for guards this year because he screwed it up last year and didn't get a point guard. Um, I like what they did so far getting Trey Clark. Really good defender. I think ideally he's your third guard. Just someone you can bring off the bench, someone that you can rely upon to get stops in big moments. But they better go find two more top three level guards right now, whether it's in the portal or as freshmen who maybe come along on the bumpy path that Primo came on this year, or they're heading to the basement again. So the pressure's on for Keith Dambrot, who for the second straight year has had a roster absolutely gutted. This year, if Spears had stayed, I don't think it hurts. 
because last year's team didn't work and they got rid of a lot of the guys who were kind of problematic. But to lose the best player off of that team is a real, real issue. So I like Dan Brott. I think he's, I still at this point think he is the best choice to lead Duquesne, but the pressure is now on because the last 14 months have just been really awful for him. They're going to have to figure something out. I don't really know. I, I haven't done any of my deep dives into recruiting, but I can't really tell you who's going to be in the backcourt right now for Duquesne. So they're definitely going to need Trey some Clark. help there. <laughs> yeah, basically him. And uh, do they have Bekelja still? Yeah. Is he the point guard? Yeah, right somehow Bekelja is still there. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I would have to think we're going to see some more movement. And it's not like. Duquesne is a stranger to the transfer portal on the receiving end either. So sure they're going to find something, but I mean, it is getting kind of later in the game. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, still, still a team that's very much up in the air right now. I think we can say. Yes, it is. And uh, unfortunately they're not very high up in that air. Uh, they're jumping from a trampoline, not flying out, not jumping out of a plane. So that does it for a quick mini emergency episode of the three bid league podcast. We'll keep the exit quick too. If you enjoyed the show, give us five stars on iTunes. You all know the drill. Uh, the portal keeps on spinning. People keep jumping through it. Uh, it's like the aliens escaping out of Danny phantom. Things are just, things are wild down in the basement. That is college basketball. <laughs>